there and welcome to season seven. I'm Kirsty Rice and together with Nikki Moffat, we're the two fat expats. I guess you'd call us serial expats with over 12 countries between us. We've had babies all over the place and they've all been born in different countries. I have four children and Nikki has two. Now we've had some jobs in some really weird places and we've navigated relationships and thrown in a little bit of family drama along the way. And each week we give you the lowdown on expat life. We discuss our favourite finds, our biggest stuff ups and we get the best tips for packing it all in. Okay, are you ready? Let's do this. Hello, Nikki Moffat, and welcome to Season 7. How are you? I am fine, thank you, Kirstie Rice. How are you? How's it going? Well, we are having an El Nino summer, which basically means there is no summer. So usually, as you would remember, Nikki, in February in Australia, because it does feel like a million years since you've been in Australia, but you may still be able to remember that usually February means it's hot, like really, really stinking hot. Kids go back to school, the weather's awful, it's blazing. You know, Australian Open, usually they're all needing lots and lots of water at the tennis and all the rest of it. But it's cold. It's cold and rainy and a little bit grey. But apart from that, I'm good. I'm good. What about you? You've got snow where you are. Well, we've had snow and we're meant to be having this polar vortex this weekend and get up to 60 (laughs) centimetres, but I'll believe that when I see it. I mean, I have been, as you have commented to me, totally infatuated by the snow, but I think because in lockdown you don't get much, it's been just pretty grey and grim the whole time. So my proliferation of Insta stories about snow and how pretty it is have been, for me, just an outlet to just say, look, there's something else. I wonder if my El Nino and your polar vortex have something in common. Do you know, is it is it that northern summon that you're seeing that your polar vortex is causing my El Nino to uh, shine? <laughs> I'm not sure. Anyway, we're fingers crossed for snow this weekend, uh, not for the polar vortex and the 60 centimetres, which will oh. bring everything to a grinding halt in northern Germany. And then when it snows, the kids go out and into all the parks with their sleds and God is the social distancing. So I'm torn between wanting the snow and the not snow. Uh, Now, Nikki, season seven, can you believe it? Uh, Usually each season we like to start something new or try something new and give it a whirl. So we're still very happy with our four fat questions now, three favourite things, but we thought maybe this year it might be nice to put a question out I guess one of the things is, Nikki, we get a lot of anonymous questions in our Two Fat Expats Facebook group where people just don't feel comfortable. Maybe they're moving and they know they've got friends in the group or maybe they um, are a little bit nervous about, you know, letting the world know what's going on. Or maybe, like in our instance today, they feel that their question's a bit trite. So the idea is, is you send us your 
question. We promise it will remain anonymous and it can be anything from how do I find that form when I'm living in Hong Kong to get something signed? How um, how do I handle expat divorce? How do I buy a house um, when I'm overseas? How do I buy a house back in my home country? It can be something practical. It can be something philosophical the bigger question yes we're here for the bigger questions we are here for the bigger questions because the big questions are maybe a little bit easier to answer I don't know (laughs) but we want to try like we'd really like what we'd like to be able to do for you is go and do the research because obviously Nikki collectively you and I have maybe 40 years of expat (laughs) experience between us so hopefully we've made a few contacts and we've learned a little bit along the way and what we'd really like to do is go to our inner circle and see if we can find the answer for you and help you but I digress I start let's go back to what today's question is and then we'll head on into the four fat expat questions and our three favorite things and have a bit of a chat So, Nikki, today's anonymous question, it's going to become very obvious of why this question really appealed to me because it's basically a question I could have asked. Um, And so I was really interested in finding out some answers because uh, this is something that was very close to my heart. So the anonymous question starts as such. It sounds trite given what's going on, which is why I'd rather remain anonymous. But my question for the podcast is, how do I deal with being stuck and unable to travel? We've been sent back to our home country and we have no idea if we'll ever be expats again. I just feel so lost. Ah, The COVID repatriation. I mean, I think that we'd find a few people listening that may be in a similar situation. The COVID impact. Mm. That's a tough one, Kirsty. So how did you start going about to resolve this question? <laughs> Where did your research lead you? <laughs> so this is what I did. First of all, I went out because I thought, you know, this is really a question for a very qualified uh, psychologist. Um And because when we're talking about our feelings and maybe even sort of that that sense of grieving because the beginning of the question when it says you know how do I deal with being stuck and unable to travel that does you know maybe sound trite but when you think of I think the bigger question is of I have no idea if I'm ever going to be an expat again now um I headed off to go and talk to Sean Truman from the Truman Group because I really wanted to make sure that we had someone who, that this was their thing. I would say, Kirsty, that that sounds very sensible because, to be honest, I have, uh, and, you know, this is maybe something we can talk about in another episode, but I have I have been seeking help myself for dealing with this situation, not not being able to travel, and but you know the whole COVID and everything that's going on in our, in my life. So I think the importance of having um, someone external and having someone qualified, you know, I leave those sessions feeling a little bit lighter on my feet. So perhaps if we get if you've talked to Sean and got some good advice, then that's maybe something that everyone who's listening 
will feel a little bit better about. Yes, and I immediately felt lighter when I spoke to Sean. So, Nikki, I thought maybe we could have a little bit of a listen and um, a chat as we go along. So our anonymous fatty or member of the fatterati said, I feel trite. And I know that when you and I are talking, and particularly in the last year when we had everything going on, you would always say to me, oh, no, 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 but I don't want to talk about me because you've had such a, you know, your year's been so much worse. Or if I was talking about COVID, I'd say, oh, but I don't want to talk about that because it's so much worse for you where you are with COVID. And we're just minimalising our problems all the time because we feel like, oh, God, there's there's someone out there who's worse worse off than me and the second thing I asked Sean about when we started talking was was about that sense of loss because it does feel from the question like she's grieving it's like this expat life that she just doesn't know if she'll ever have again anyway let's have a bit of a listen um to what Dr Truman said yeah, I mean, I think to, to start with the first thing, I mean, I, I refer to that as the, you know, the, the worst day in the world problem, right? Which is, you know, what right does anybody have to complain about something when you're aware that there is some other human being in the world that has in some meaningful way, shape or form suffered more dramatically and more terribly than you have? And, and that is objectively true. Uh, but if that's so, then it means that only one guy or one woman in the world really has the right to, to struggle with their day or their life that day because the world's a big place and the version of terrible for that person has got to be really horrendous, right? So in comparison, everybody else's experience is really pretty benign, right? When you put it up against something as terrible as that. I mean, I, I think I'll say this though, you know, as, as somebody who's been thinking a lot about the experience of people who live far from home, uh, who are trying to manage you know, the, the disruption and the dysregulation that's associated with the effects of this pandemic. I mean, I think the, the thing to say is that it's, it's very real and that we have not in my lifetime seen a change across the entire world. I mean, this is something that the entire planet is experiencing at the same time, where all of these people are being disrupted and constrained in ways that are completely out of our control to a large degree. And I mean, and, and it, it cuts across all social sort of strata. Um, it's really been disruptive in many, many contexts and in many domains that are really important for us to manage ourselves as people. So, I mean, if you just think in the most basic way, one of the most powerful things in the expatriate community is your capacity to move, to go to places. Yes. You know, we were speaking before you started recording about our families and, you know, your children don't live in the same country that you live in, right? Which, um, and, that, and that in our own staff is true for many of the people who work in our practice. And there's always this notion that you can leave your kids behind, but if anything were to happen, your ability to get back, I mean, one of the great things about being an expatriate is you keep your passport in the pocket of your jeans, you yeah. know, and your keys and, you know, enough money to get on the taxi, right? So if you, so you can get to the airport. So at a moment's notice, if family needed you, if there was something that you needed to do, there's always been the sense that you could just get back. Yes. Until now. And so there's many, many families that we've been involved with where there have been family members who've been sick or something's happened at home. 
They're, whether it's about the birth of a grandchild or a niece or a nephew, uh, the, the illness or death of family members, and people have been unable to get home in the ways that they need and want to be able to. And that's a very, very profound thing to, to do to a human being that's really disruptive. I think in addition to that, you know, we've, we've heard a lot of stories of people being caught on the wrong sides of lines. So for example, I'm thinking of a specific case where there was a family from China. Uh, the the uh, man, the husband was in Western Europe because he had a family member who was ill. I think his mother was ill. And then everything shut down very, very quickly before he was able to get back. So a trip that was supposed to be sort of a couple of weeks looking after his mom um, led to four and a half months of this woman's single parenting, trying to do support for their kids in school. She was a teacher herself and she, I think they had three kids. And so, and the youngest was sort of elementary age, youngest and the oldest young high school. So just the, the level of disruption in that relationship, the burden on that man, knowing that his wife was completely on her own, managing the three kids and working, he was trying to work remotely in a way he never had before. His mother was, there. I mean, it was just, if you just sort of think about that setup, it's an incredibly powerful disruptive force. Mm. And it's true that that family wasn't having the worst day on the planet, but it's, it's not about that really, is it? It's, it's about this idea that there are lots of things. And, and what's complicated too is this isn't just a discrete day or week or month, but mm -hmm. in fact, what we've seen is this kind of extended experience and uncertainty about the length of how long this was gonna go and when there would be resolution and when things would lighten up for all of us. And it's been an incredibly difficult exercise in, in managing the unknown. Uh, and one of the most difficult things that you can do to a human being is subject them to an incredible amount of adversity without any clear sense of a, of a point where it finishes. Yes. Even a marathon only goes 26.2 miles and then you're finished. So Kirsty, wow, wow, wow. Like there's so many things uh, he talked about there. Could we start with, have I mentioned that I've run a marathon before? <laughs> <laughs> and it does stop after 26 miles, but COVID does feel longer. But the worst day in the world thing uh, is really, really true. And it's what you talked about before we, you know, when you were in the lead in that you and I and the conversations we have and we're like, oh, no, sorry, I, I can't say that because whatever. And that only one person yeah. is allowed to have the worst day in the world. It's it's so true. Uh, yeah. It shouldn't just be one person. <laughs> um, no. And the stories that, you know, that he shared, I mean, I, I know we've all heard our, our share of people being separated and families being separated and, and that was just really a, a really really difficult story and I can't imagine like my COVID journey has been nothing compared to that person's but on other days I have I have felt like I'm having a really tough COVID time so yeah um I, I love the marathon analogy not just because I haven't run a marathon Nikki <laughs> nor have I climbed a mountain uh but yes I really really loved it okay I kind of asked him again then Nikki well, but how do you then stop squashing down your feelings when you are feeling trite. And I, I thought what he said was really good. I'm going to play it now. I think that the answer is that you can't just keep squashing it. I mean, I think, again, you have to think about this as a really extended, protracted experience that we're all having, where it's not just a hard time for a, 
a month or two months. You know, I think lots of us in the international world recognize that there are difficult transitions that we need to make. And, and for many of us who've moved around a lot, you just you say, look, this is part of the program and you pull your socks up and you get to it. I think what's hard about this is it, it's gone longer than that. And what we've seen is that if you just sort of try to, you know, bite a piece of leather to get through it and you just don't really recognize the adversity that somehow that's actually not an effective way of coping. So we've seen, for example, that uh, rates of uh, use of drink has gone have gone up quite significantly. Um, domestic violence in many communities has gone up a whole lot. People are not doing their best parenting. Kids are not managing themselves as well. I mean, there's a whole cascade of difficulty that's emerged now. And again, it's across very, very broad sort of swaths of the, of the globe, and it's not specific to any one particular group of people. And so I think what it speaks to is the fact that you, you can't just say, oh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to squash it. And that you need to recognize that this is adversity that really needs to be coped with in just the same way, you know, if, if the roof of your house was torn off, you wouldn't just say, well, you know, we're going to just deal with the rain. I mean, you, you, have to, you have to try to find some way of cobbling, <laughs> cobbling things together a bit to, to, to get through this adversity. And it might not be perfect, but you recognize that this is a, a strategy to kind of get you through to when things are going to be a bit better. And, and that really, you know, involves all kinds of things, whether it's about, you know, trying to create schedule for yourself and your family when you're in the house, whether it's about trying to create areas where you do work and areas where you don't, trying to have some sort of normal rhythm, trying to make sure that you get outside and get some exercise, like, you know, sort of a normal human being so you can be out, uh, whether it's about trying to get time to yourselves, if you're a partnership and where you don't, you're not got kids, you know, sort of crawling all over you, where you have a little bit of exclusivity. I mean, it's just all of these different components of, you know, ways that you try to kind of artificially create what should be a more normal life and a normal routine and rhythm, I think is all, you know, all of that's really important. That and talk, talk about the fact that it's difficult. Talk about the fact that it's, that it's a struggle it doesn't make it worse. I think having your having the capacity to describe what's hard is okay. And it's especially good for kids. Yeah. Because they're gonna need to be told, look, this is a really difficult period and it's hard for everybody, and that there's a route through it and that we're finding it together. Mm-hmm. And that it even though it feels really endless, it no one can stop the clock. That yes. there is a way through this and we're gonna be okay. Nikki, I've got to jump in here because I, th- this was the bit that was really big with me um, with Dr. Truman was because I'm back in Australia, I am so far from my expat life. So I guess what it means for me is I'm not seeing my expat friends. I'm not reminded of my expat life. Do you know, I completely forget a lot of the time that I have a car in a garage in Qatar that must be covered in dust and I have the earrings that I took off, you know, the night before I left that are by the side of my bed, that the toothbrush is still in the in the toothbrush holder. Do you know, all of these things. And every now and again I'll have this moment of I have another life somewhere. I just can't get back to it. Um, And so for me, I forget that I need to go and talk to people. It sounds ridiculous, but I just forget how good it makes me feel. And so something like the other day, Greg and I actually teed up a conversation with friends who have 
fantastic friends from Doha who are now moving to Saudi. But we made the effort to go, right, we're going to be up at 8 a.m. to speak to them because they were in Florida, you know, it was their end of the day. And we coordinated a Zoom call for 30 minutes, them on their couch, us on our couch, just a random chat about what was happening with them, where that where they were going next, what was what was going to go. And and you do, you feel so much better immediately. Like my friend Bridgie, who's gone to Saudi and 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 really wasn't very happy there, and now she's really loving it. And and so you have those moments you go, yeah, that's a piece of my life. That's that's my other life. And I need to constantly reconnect with people to so that 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 side of me isn't just dying away somewhere does that make sense it totally makes sense it it really does and i i am not like you i'm in my expat life yeah and so i have here a group i have two whatsapp groups that have honestly got me through if i did not have these whatsapp groups i wouldn't have made it and one one is i mean it's very dramatic but it it's just one of those things where if something uh, they're both it doesn't matter what the littlest thing in your day is it's really you can't deal with you can put it in that group and there'll be people there to support you and no judgment and it's just it's just one of those things that you just think oh thank god I've got these people and there's people that I didn't know that well in one of the groups that I feel like are my best friends now 12 months down the track you know, it's just a group of girls that I sort of knew. Some of them were, were friends. Some of them weren't really. And now they're like all my besties ever and I'd lay down my life for any of them because we really feel like we've <laughs> gone through this together. And, you know, occasionally we have the Zooms and whatever, but the talking is just really important. And the other part that he said there was about talking to your children about it. And I find it really hard. And, you know, particularly my son, He's in his last year of school. Uh, he's doing the IB and, you know, they don't know whether exams will go ahead or not. It's all super uncertain and he's just really, really struggling, as are all the grade 12s everywhere, kids in their last year of school. And my daughter also, like she and I had a, a long talk last night, longer than we've had for ages. We just sat in the kitchen and, and chatted after dinner and I just I find it really difficult. And we were saying the other day, like mm -hmm. you were talking about how, what part of life you're a good parent like you felt your parenting skills were more suited to and I said I don't think I'm a good parent anywhere like I feel my parenting skills have been lacking at every stage of my children's lives and I just I've, I think talking to kids is important but I find it really hard as well yeah yeah I should clarify I said I thought I was particularly good at babies and toddlers I thought I did that really well which is probably why I continued to just keep having them right and then and it was like Oh God, I suck at teenagers. I really, really suck at this. But I think we all have our moments. Um, Nikki, I'm gonna go back and ask you because this happens every time we talk about having girlfriends and being in groups and doing things. There's always someone that will pop up and will say, I don't have that village. I don't have that group of women. So I'm gonna ask you, how did your WhatsApp group at start like how do you know these women and and what happened and what would be I guess your advice to anyone who's out there now going but I don't have that group how do I make that group yeah okay so I I am an extrovert and I crave uh, people's company so I, I would totally acknowledge it's more difficult for introverts even though there are some in this group but I saw when we had our first lockdown last March 
just <laughs> 10 months ago, that mm. uh, a friend of mine that I went to cookbook group with posted on her Facebook group how she'd had a Zoom catch up with a group of friends and put the photo, you know, when you used to put a photo of every Zoom you went to. <laughs> here I am with some friends um and I said hey I want in like if you're going to do that again I want in and she said okay sure I'll add you to the to uh, the emerging whatsapp group and then over the course of the pandemic people have sort of opted in and out like this group's taking a bit much of my time I'm gonna opt out and 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 because they they needed to focus on other things and then people come in and out and but it's sort of been a, a core yeah. group and and as the zoom calls got less because zoom it can also be you run out of zooming the whatsapp group sort of just ran underneath and so it was always the, the yes. booster support group so i mean that's what i did the other group is a group of girlfriends that i used to get together with regularly quite often we would sort of and so uh we already had a little group but it's been during covid it's been sort of super special from that point of view so they're, they're my two sort of local groups and then I have yes. some other groups of places that I lived before uh, that I would just jump in and out of and just say, you know, how's it going? So the conversations have changed. You know, it used to be catch-up or holidays or whatever, and now we talk about, you know, more COVID-related things and or just seeing how they're going, you know, if they announce a new lockdown or things like that, that I'll just sort of jump in and out. So I'd say that, look, you've got to do what works for you and you've got to be able to have a break if you ha want to have a break. But I really need... I need contact and I need context and I need to just keep that because for me I have to look outwards as well as inwards. So I that that my suggestion would be just yeah. think about the groups of friends you already have and uh you know go from there or think about you know interest groups that you've you're involved with and you know think about it that way as well. You can sort of extend that a little bit more. So I would say you know, that, that would be my two tips for that. Yes, yes. So, Nikki, I then went on to ask Dr Truman about what about getting to the crux of our um, anonymous question, which was what if this is it? What if I never get back to my expat life again? And this is what he said. It's a, it's a great question. I think you know, um, this isn't the first time we've been through a pandemic. It's just the first time in our lifetimes that we've been through a pandemic. It's our first rodeo, but it's not the first rodeo for the species. Yeah. And it turns out that things will return to some normal. But the question is, what is that normal? And the new normal might be different in some cases from the old version. You know, like, for example, I think that there, you know, there's changes in the ways that people think about going to offices, think about, you know, sort of congregating in particular ways. And I think that some of that's going to take time to change. But I also think that one of the things that this experience has given many of us, and especially those of us who have been locked down and for whom traveling and being in the, in the world, the big world matters so incredibly, is that we appreciate that in a very overt way. And then we're aware of how important it is to be, whether it's eating street food in Bangkok or whether it's being on a beach in Bali or whether it's, you know, being able to sort of experience whatever thing it is and, you know, that, that has drawn you to this life and really is so powerful for you. I think that for many people, they're going to go back to it. I think that there are cases where the economy will have changed and businesses will have changed, but that adjustment 
will continue to sort of morph over time. And the people who love to be in the world will always be in the world, I think. I mean, one of the things that's really interesting to me when you look at the media and you listen to the experience, the way that people publicize a lot of this, people frequently like to describe drama. They like to describe suffering. They like to describe, and, and it's not that it isn't true, but it's that there are other things that are present that counterbalance it as well. But those aren't nearly as dramatic. You know, saying, I was having a coffee with my 25 year old son, and I just thought, well, isn't this a grand thing that I get to have this? And it's not even Christmas time. Yes. Okay, yeah, I just want to jump in here, Kirsty, and say that I think what Dr. Truman is saying about we'll go back to the normal and what, but no one knows what the new normal will be. And and that is the unknown. And yes, we've had a pandemic before. It was 100 years ago. And, you know, we can look learn lessons from history, but, you know, today is very different. But so also about what he said there about people focusing on the drama, I think that that is true. But to be totally honest, some days I want to focus on the drama, you know, and, and but that's not the day that somebody else wants to focus. And so I get it that it's frustrating when people are focusing on the drama. I mean, there are days when I go to Facebook or in our group and I see the drama, I'm like, okay, and I just check out. I just go back out because I don't want to have a fight with someone or be upset about it. But I know that there are days that I want to focus on the drama, but most days you don't, right? And I get that you shouldn't focus on it. And I understand that it's not healthy to always focus on it. But sometimes if you need an outlet, I think that's fair. So maybe Dr. Truman and I don't necessarily agree on that. But (laughs) I just thought I'd want to say, because I want to give people like permission to, if one day they want to be dramatic about something, then it's okay. It's okay with me, Fatterati. Yeah, I I, I agree. I, I like a bit of a sense of the dramatic, but there are days I can't, I just can't be dealing with it. And we've, we've both talked about that, about getting offline and, and getting away from the drama. Okay, now Dr. Drewman's going to talk about the grief side and the grieving. I think that, you know, when we talk about grief, I think one of the things that characterizes people's experience is that, that, they, that some of this has been very varied. So that what you gave was a very sort of stark example. And I've, I, too, have heard about a lot of families where, you know, you have 24 hours to make decisions about going and then you pick up the kids and you go and you leave pets behind and you leave households behind the kids barely have time if any time to say goodbye to their friends and it's just this amazingly sort of acute chopping off of your life and it's and it's as though you know you just have had a piece of you hacked out of yourself Mm. um and and for some people um, you know, they're going to be able to return and there'll be this gap. So when you talk about having the sense of loss, it's that it's not all gone completely, that they'll be able to return, but they'll be returning to a form where perhaps some of those people aren't there. Things have changed. A year of school has gone by. You know, there's all these things. Um, we're seeing it with uh, people who are in uh, romantic relationships and kids as well, by the way. So, you know, kids who are, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17, who are in love with someone and then it's just suddenly like, and you're separate from each other and that's all. Yeah. And so when you, you know, that's a just an incredibly powerful disruption with absolutely no warning. And I think that, as you said, it's a loss and you grieve those experiences because it's, those people have suddenly been ripped from you. I think, and we talked about this a little before you started recording, I think that technology has really helped with some of this. It's interesting, I, I frequently, when I am out in the world and I'm speaking at schools, before the 
the pandemic, I would have parents ask me about social media platforms and they usually would tee it up so that they would, they would essentially want me to tell them all the terrible things that were associated with social media that they could then tell their kids, Dr. Truman said. Um, you know, I think that it's, it's been an incredibly powerful and helpful support that we've had social media available to us, particularly for kids so that they've been able to maintain continuity and connection in their, in their relationships with people. It is not the same as being in the same place. It is not as good as being able to be with each other physically, but it's been a really important element. So I would encourage people to make sure that as much as possible, you remain connected to your people. When yes. we talk about these truncated experiences, some of it's about place, but actually place is usually about, it's the repository for your community. Yes. You can go to the most beautiful place on earth, but without your people, it's just one more nice place. And that what you're really referring to is the way that your life is peopled. And that what we do is we need to cling to that at all costs. And, and we use every trick that we have. It's also the case, particularly for kids, I think, for example, kids who are in their final year of school, uh, kids who are graduating, kids who are trying to start university, where they're in those transition periods where you need ideally a really strong base to come from so that you feel good about starting this new thing where you're going to a new state. The, the, that entire process has been completely discombobulated. Uh, and there's no simple way of solving that for kids in particular in those transitions, apart from talking about it and recognizing that it is gonna take some time and that things will resolve. And then I think the other thing is if you're really struggling and you're disrupted in ways where you're not functioning the way that you're usually managing, that that's where you start to think about reaching out to people in the community who can be helpful to you around providing mental health support. And, and that I think is an element of this as well. And people should be aware that it's really common right now to be experiencing distress and disruption at a level that is not usual for you and that people have really struggled and they're struggling for very good reason. Uh, this is an extraordinary experience that none of us have encountered before. And, and it's really, even though you might not be having the worst day on the planet, uh, you can be having a pretty hard week. So many gems right there, yeah. Kirstie. He's just dropped them all in. Um, what, what I would say is I just was thinking about what he said about it, it being so sudden, just the removal of people. And I, I would compare it to things that we've talked about before. For example, you're leaving Libya mm -hmm. and not knowing you are never going back. Uh, I, I had friends who were in Japan when the earthquake and tsunami was there and their company, uh, they were there on an expat uh, with a company and they were advised to go to the airport, get on a plane and get out. They never went back. You know, the, these are things that only a small amount of people have experienced before, but now there's more people that have experienced it. And so, you know, I, I would say that we could, in a different way, but they've had the same thing and you've had the same sort of thing. You're going through a similar thing now as well. Um, with the kids about uh, the social media, I mean, my daughter is never alone, <laughs> even during her school day. <laughs> She, she's there's a house party going on all day and it's joined and left by people that are in the same class as her so they might be in the zoom meeting together but when their microphones and their speakers are on mute 
the uh, the other device okay i'm i'm being uh, giving away some things here uh is is not on mute and they're having conversations about whatever i mean it's it's pretty she's getting all her work done and doing it but you know in the kitchen at night when we're cooking dinner here's our friend Yulia. Hi, mum. Say, so, you know, and we have the whole, are we team Jacob or team Edward? You know, we have the old conversations with teenage girlfriends as we would normally. So um, I, for, for her, them, I really think that social media has been really good, but it is not the same as being in real life with people. And that is something that, that yeah. my kids both really miss uh, because they haven't been able to do that since, since yeah. December before Christmas. Um and the end where he said the places are really places are really peoples. So places are people. I mean, we've talked about that so much. Yes. So like but without that sort of focus of that exact sentence. Mm -hmm. But but places are people. When you remember a place, you remember so many things, the sounds and the smells and the room, but you also remember the people. The people are really always the most important part of any place that you've been and lived. So, yeah. And also at the end when he said people need help, yes, hands up here. I've needed help and uh, I'm not ashamed. Yeah. And I just want to say um, – on Dr. Truman, you know, the the idea was when when we talked about helping people out was that you would come with your anonymous question and we would go and find an expert in that field and research the answer and come back to you. Um, and the thing with Dr. Truman, he's from the Truman Group, if anyone wants to look them up, this is their thing that they just do psychology for expats. Um, and uh, Dr. Truman himself was an expat child. His father was in the United Nations. He's been in the international school system. He majored in psychology, but he's also a fellow from Yale. Um, so he's the real deal. So I, I was really happy with him. If anyone else has a question that they would like to pose to a mental health professional, please come back and we'll head back there again. But also if you want to ask us something like um, what's the tax situation in France if I land if I'm lucky enough to land in Nice or uh, even do I have to um, can I get how do I get my driver's license in Saudi any of those sort of ones we're happy to go there as well it doesn't always have to be so philosophical but um, there you go Nikki we've done our first one we've done our first uh, expert expat question <laughs> excellent Excellent. Now, I think we're going to have a quick, because that has taken some time, we're going to have a reduced four fat questions this week. So we're just going to have an ex, one X question each, Kirsty. Yes. My question to you is, how are you feeling about or preparing for G's return to Qatar? Because if my husband was going back to Copenhagen, I'd be pretty happy right now. <laughs> <laughs> but that's four hours in the car. And that's between countries with borders are open and which he has a right of passage each way so that's a very yes. different situation to you so how how are yeah. you feeling about that yeah because if your husband goes back to Copenhagen you know that you will see him again that you'll be able to see him on the weekend or you can go there or he can go he can come to you whereas our situation in Australia now is once G returns to Qatar 
we don't know if he'll be able to get back. We don't think he will be able to get back. And I definitely can't get over there because we have four children here in Australia. And, you know, in the last year I've lost my father. Um, we have situations between states where G's mother is now. It's not so easy for her to come to us. Um, you know, my mum's about to have heart surgery, you know, in a, in a couple of months. So I wouldn't want to land four children on her in the middle of, of all that happening. So yes, I can't, I can't go back. So how am I feeling? Um, just sad, you know, like just, the idea of him missing my daughter's 21st birthday, the idea of just single parenting all year without him, um, just the idea of, you know, I've had him here for such a long time now. It's really hard to imagine not having him here. Um, you know, usually we do spend a lot of time apart with me going back and forward, but um, I've really, we've kind of got out of that habit. So, yeah, I feel sad and I feel what's what I'm finding really hard about it here in Australia is, you know, most people don't get it. So because you know, they're not living this expat life. And so my expat friends, I think, would, or my expat community, they get it. They know why we live the life we do and why we're doing what we do, etc. And so I have people here going, saying things like, well, does he really have to go back? <laughs> um <laughs> It's like, well, I don't know how you pay your mortgage, but, yeah, he kind of does have to go back. But also, you know, we have a life back there and that's the life we chose and his job's back there. So, yeah, I just I just feel sad, you know, and I feel like it's been this thing that's been hanging for all through chemo and radio and him getting better. We knew that this was going to happen and and just finally I was going to say that we also have that weird thing though where we've been together all the time so it's not like I'm, I'm not having those feelings that everybody has had with their partner who's working from home like he doesn't finish work till one in the morning because he's working Qatar hours so he starts at one in the afternoon he works through to one in the morning and so I find like we're perpetually tired because he's, I'm awake because he's awake and then we're up early, you know, because you're trying to make the most of your morning because that's the only time, you know, you have to get stuff done. Um, and so, yeah, there's been lots of cranky pants and lots of feeling like, oh, God, I almost can't wait for you to go so I can go to bed at 9 p.m. and wake up at 7 and have a decent night's sleep. And then you think, oh, that's so bad. That's so, so bad to think that because I know I'm going to miss you so much the minute you're gone. So, yeah, that's that's sort of how I'm feeling. Oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. And uh, I know that the mm. Fatarati, there'll be a lot of them in, and it's not the same, but similar situations. And so we've all got yes. you back, Kirsty. We've got yeah, you back. Thank, and, you know, Nikki, that's it. Thank, thank God for, thank you, Fatarati, because just like um, Dr. Truman said in that interview, you know, it's about finding your people and being with your people. And it is in the Fatarati that I do get the comfort. You know, um, I have another girlfriend who's here, her husband's in 
Japan and I sort of messaged her last week saying, do you think you're going to see your husband this year? And she just sort of, you know, gave me the hands up shrug emoji of I've kind of decided that no, I'm I'm not going to see him all year. And I just tell myself you're not going to see him all year and get on with it. And it's so to know that there's lots of other people out there in the same situation, I mean, I'm just grateful we've still got a job. Yeah, and because there are a lot of people that don't. Yeah, 100% true. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Nikki, on a little bit more of a lighter side, <laughs> my one my one fact question to you is how problematic is it when your children have a different accent to you? Yeah, so I don't, I don't think that I've ever found it problematic before, but I, I do acknowledge that people find it weird if they meet your children and then they meet you and then they're like, huh, what? Sorry? Uh, how's this looking? Yeah. How's this going? <laughs> uh, so, I, yeah, I mean, I know you've had a situation where that's happened to you before. In Australia, oh yeah, I sat, I sat down at parent teacher and with my husband and the teacher who'd been teaching my son all year said, "So which one of you is American?" And was <laughs> like, "Neither." And yeah, you know, great to know you've really got to know my child. <laughs> but uh, Nikki, I know this week you had an interesting one with your son and and a story that came out of his accent. Yeah, so this week my son, because he's in grade 12 and limbo and doesn't know and should be studying for his IB, but of course what he's doing is instead he's auditioning for voice acting roles on online because <laughs> uh, that's what you do to fill the time. But you do have to do something that you're interested in. So what basically there's yes. an audio comic book and that's there was a casting call audition for it and all these people had auditioned and you had to read certain lines and so uh we listened I I sat down with him I was quite interested so we listened to it other people auditioned and I said okay and I lent him my very sophisticated uh <laughs> uh podcast recording equipment so he could record his lines <laughs> and he did record them and then he edited them and then he submitted them and I sent them to you because you you were interested so so you heard them and then the next day he said I got some feedback and I said oh what was the feedback and he said the feedback was you sound like you're forcing yourself to do an American accent are you American <laughs> and I said oh I just thought, you know, I had seen the sweat and tears he put into doing that audition and he just did it with his regular voice. I said that the benefit of your accent is I was trying to pump him up and, you know, you have this accent that Americans don't think it's American. It sounds American to us. Yes. But it's a sort of an international accent. It's a little bit flat. It's not, you know, really strong one way or the other. I said, and, and that can be really beneficial, I imagine, in, in voice work. Uh yeah, not this time. So I just, I felt so bad for him because he's like, what do you mean? Like, I'm not trying to put on an American accent. Yeah. And I just thought, can I just jump in here and say, I thought his audition was brilliant. And and I wrote back to you and I said, look, I'm not just saying this because you're my friend and I really like your son, but I think his he did such a good job and I loved it. I almost feel like we need to put the put it here in the podcast. Do you think you'd let us put it here in the podcast? I'll, I'll tell you what, 
you go off and you ask him and if he says yes and people hear it, they'll know that it was a yes. If you don't hear it coming up, the answer was an obvious no. I don't just think of you as a spectacle like everyone else. Oh, wait, sorry. I meant spectacle. I <laughs> forgot the word. I don't just think of you as a spectacle like everyone else. Oh, wait, sorry. I meant spectacle. I forgot the word. I love you and I'm not going anywhere. You're the coolest person I've ever met and I'd be an idiot to ruin that. I love you and I'm not going anywhere. You're the coolest person I've ever met and I'd be an idiot to ruin that. But you just called me cute. Why do you want me to leave? I'm so confused. Hey, are you crying? But you just called me cute. Why do you want me to leave? I'm so confused. But hey, I, I did crying? think it was really interesting, the whole he sounds like he's trying to do an American accent because then I was thinking, well, is that is that the truth though? Is it the truth that once upon a time, back many, many years ago, our children sat in a room and thought, well, I've got to talk like you if I want to sound like everybody else. And so I'm I'm going to start talking like you because I'm always fascinated with my children have never sounded Australian until my first one came back to Australia and then she just adopted this Australian accent within two days of being here. My second child doesn't. She, I went to drop off the dry cleaning the other day and the dry cleaning lady who had met my second daughter when she'd picked the dry clean up, she said to me, um, I don't know how to say this, but is your daughter American? <laughs> I was like... No, she's Australian. She just sounds American. And, you know, so do, so do the next two down. They, they have these soft American <laughs> accents and they, 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 they all sound kind of different. But I've, I've never found it to be a problem. I find it really, really funny. But I've never thought about, I guess, Americans listening to it Um and thinking, oh, you're trying to sound American. Yeah, I know. I was really, it, it was just very, I guess, confronting because yeah. it, it was not the feedback you expect. Like, oh, it's not right for the character or I don't think that's <laughs> quite right. But just like, are you trying to sound American? <laughs> and so he said like this very detailed explanation. He said, no, I'm Australian, but I can't do an Australian accent, which he <laughs> cannot. Neither of my children cannot do an Australian accent. <laughs> he said, and I've been, he said, I've been influenced by all the places I've lived. You know, I've lived in all these places and, you know, I spent a good chunk of my preteen, you know, and teen, tween and teen years in America. And, and that's, that's where I've got the accent, but it's not, um, and and, you, and as you say, you know, do your children sit and think that? I think they absolutely do because I can tell you my daughter was when she was a little, little girl and when she was in, you know, being looked after at home and I was working, she had a Filipino accent. Mm. Her nanny was Filipino. And then when we moved to South Africa, she just jumped right in. She yep. had a South African accent like you would not believe. My son did not. He kept his very, very lovely international flat sort of nowhere accent you couldn't tell where he was from but then when we went to the U.S. my daughter again went full southern twang and my son went from his very moderated middle accent to just adding sort of some hard R's and a few little different bits and pieces and I, I, as I say to him if you're not North American you would think he was American but 
a North American would, wouldn't listen to your second daughter and say, oh, gosh, is she American? Because they would never think that mm. because her accent is not American enough mm. kind of thing. Mm. So, And it's totally influenced by the schooling and by their environment. And I guess that their accents were just fixed enough when we moved here that they didn't feel that there was any need to change them. They may be a little bit flatter. My daughter's gone very flat. She's not Southern anymore, but she's flat. And I don't know. I, they sound different from me and they, they always will. I mean, my husband says always at work that people can't tell where he's from. Yeah. His accent is the longer we live away, the more you adapt it to. You don't, as an adult, knowingly change your accent, but you just adapt it to the situations that you're in. And, you know, Australians talk very fast. They have very particular vowels. And over time, he's just trying to sort of taken that out because he's dealing with international accents all the yeah. time, all the time at work. And yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I have one of those husbands too, and he, what my husband was an expat child, and every now and again he'll say something because I, I go from thinking, oh God, you sound like such a Queenslander when you say that, <laughs> and then when we lived in Perth, I remember saying, saying, oh, your husband's English no and then the other day we were out and I, and I think he to me he now sounds Australian but we were out and he used because he uses work words that are very American like data instead of data but we were out and he said something was homogeneous and I said do you mean homogenous <laughs> I was just like homogeneous I was like where is that from I mean I think it's Obviously, the the words you use at work too. I, I I don't know. It's I mean, expats can talk about accents forever and ever, can't they? Because we all sit together from all our different countries and we talk about the different things we say and how we say them. I would love, I think, now to hear from an international school teacher, particularly an American international school teacher. I'd like to know: Do they hear? Is that what they hear when they hear our children, our non-American children, speaking with those weird, you know, what you call a nowhere accent? Collaborative. Yeah, collaborative, yeah, collaborative. accent. I haven't. There you go, Nikki. There's a word you could you could um, start a whole uh, chat room about that collaborative accents. Um, but yeah, I'd I'd like to know what what that's like for American teachers in international schools, um, whether they notice or they don't even notice because there's so many people doing it. Anyway, Nikki, there are our um, two fat questions this week. I, you know, We've had many uh, different forms of our next section where we've talked about, you know, uh, what our plans were for the year or, you know, our hashtag 66 days because it took 66 days to change a habit. Um, we had, you know, our challenges of the year and what we were going to do. And now I've decided we should just call it my bold statement of the week. <laughs> <laughs> And this way we don't have to stick to it if we don't have want to. We don't have to create a hashtag. We'll just maybe at the end of the year we'll review all of our bold statements that we made and we'll just see what's stuck. Do you have a bold statement, Nikki, for this week? Is there something you're trying to do this week? I do have a bold statement of the week, Kirsty, and mine will be that this by the end of this weekend I will have written a rough draft of my presentation, online presentation, which needs to be submitted by the 15th of February and videos. 
That's my bold now, statement of the week. I'm thinking your presentation because I did ask you, I think it was yesterday, oh, now what sort of software are you going to use in your presentation? And I think there was a, oh, I don't know, and a quick scroll backwards. <laughs> I'm guessing there's not been a lot of planning. Okay, well, I think that's a very that's that's an achievable bold statement and I'll talk to you next week to see whether it happened. I better write that down somewhere because I always forget what our bold statements are. Um, Nikki, my bold statement for the week, which I hope I will carry on to next week and next week and it's actually for the month, I'm not drinking in February. I'm off the booze because there was enough champagne and fancy gin and lovely bottles of wine through December and January that I actually thought I just can't keep doing this it's got to stop so February is zero alcohol for me and as as we've been recording I've watched my husband wander down to the back shed pull out a couple of beers and take them so he's obviously not joining me in my bold <laughs> statement um so i'll get to watch him drink through oh, february good luck to that. <laughs> but that's my bold that's my bold statement so nikki tell me your three favorite things okay so kirsty i know that we're at the stage now that we're a new format this is our first go and we've sort of probably spent a little bit more time on things than we thought we would so yes. this is going to have to be brief and uh efficient so i'm just going to say bridgerton who didn't watch it if you haven't watched it that's fine if you have yes I, I I did it. I, I just did it all. It was lovely escapism. It fit in with my point of the year. So I'm putting Bridgerton. I would say also, Kirsty, we talked about last year, it was the Moody Christmas. Mm-hmm. And I went down so many rabbit holes looking for that. Uh, and did I actually found the, I found the American one first. So I've watched the American one in full. And now I've watched the Australian one in full. So Oh, now which one was yeah. better? Well, I was looking, looking, looking for the Australian one. So I, when I was watching the American one, I was thinking, uh, uh, uh. but I was interested to see the parallel storylines. I wouldn't say one is better than the other. I would say the Australian one obviously resonated because it was a lot more, I had a lot of more cultural touchstones that I could reference in the Australian one. You know, and Which one made of, you laugh? Which one made you laugh? Oh, the Australian one was it was more raw. I think the American one, as with American things, they're more polished. You know, they take the edges off the the more difficult parts of things. I think. I, I think the yeah. Australian one made me laugh more. That's for me. Yeah. And the third one, then I'll do a podcast uh, just to wrap it all up. So, and it's a podcast episode. So yesterday, and we all know in podcasting, serial after this American Life serial, sort of six years ago, was the first great true crime podcast, but is the podcast by which all other podcasts are often measured in that genre. And uh, there's a podcast I listen to from time to time if the subject interests me called Servant of Pod. And it was yeah. a retrospective of Serial because it's been six years since Serial, which blows my mind. Uh, and and something that one of them said was amazing. She said, Hamil- it was the Hamilton of its time. Serial was the Hamilton of its time. So people that didn't listen to podcasts all of a sudden were listening to Serial. And it's like people that don't listen 
don't enjoy musicals, like are all into Hamilton and the Hamilton soundtrack and everything. And I thought that was a really good analogy. Um, And then because it was six years ago, they were able to really look really objectively at, you know, some of the more problematic parts of Serial and then talk about how, that sort of sits across true tri- true crime and podcasts and reporting and everything. Anyway, it was a really good podcast and I will share the episode of that on the show notes. Kirsty. Oh, that sounds good. Okay, apart from footy training having started and me saying that football is on the horizon, that is one of my favourite things. But I loved It's a Sin, which is on Channel 4. It's on the BBC. It is absolutely brilliant. Um, it's one of those things you watch and then you go straight down a rabbit hole of I want to watch every interview from every character to to learn more about it and you do learn the guy who wrote it's a sin also wrote years and years nikki that you and i absolutely oh. love yes and uh it, the premise of the story is five flatmates in london in 1981 uh f- four of those people are, um, are gay and the fifth person is the um the the female friend of these four guys and it is absolutely brilliant in every I cannot stop thinking about it and loving it I love the soundtrack I loved that return to share houses in the you know in the early 80s and it was before it was just as AIDS was making its appearance. So you get to see, oh, my gosh, that's how we lived before. And I think this is it because it's of my time frame of that, you know, you went out and you were so innocent to all of these terrible things that were about to happen. And there is also the that same thing, like you see them um, – dealing with what we've dealt with with the pandemic in exactly the same way of that misinformation and uh, not knowing what drugs to take or what you should be doing or people deciding that it's all just a a, a farce and that it wasn't happening. But it's one of the – it just uh, – make sure you've got a box of tissues or your Kleenex because it is incredibly sad but incredibly fun and I just loved it. But I was I was very audible, as my daughter would say, while watching it because there's a lot of, <gasps> oh, oh, no, you know, a lot of those moments. So I just loved it. Look, the other thing uh, is something I should say, have you have you watched it, Nikki? Have you seen It's a Sin yet? I haven't, but it's on my list because everybody I know says you must watch it. Oh, it's the next so big scary. thing. Yeah. Oh, just brilliant. Um, okay. The next thing is... An article I read just today, it was in the New York Times on the 4th of Feb. It's an article written by Charlie Warzel, who's an opinion writer with uh, uh, the New York Times. And absolutely brilliant. I, I know I shot it your way, Nikki, this morning. Um, it's talking about Michael Goldhaber, who he, he says in this, he's the internet prophet you've never heard of. Here's a short list of the things he saw coming. The complete dominance of the internet, increased shamelessness in politics, terrorists co-opting, co-opting social media, the rise of reality television, personal websites, oversharing, personal essay f- 
essays, fandoms, and on online influence culture. And you read that and you go, yeah, 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 I guess we all could have predicted that, except this guy predicted it in the 1980s. <laughs> but it talks about um, our finite resource, which is human attention, and how attention has always been currency but as we've begun to live our lives increasingly online, it is now the currency. Go and have a read of the article. I don't know, Nikki, what, what were your thoughts? No, I totally agreed. I was reading it and I was nodding and emphasizing, making all sorts of sounds. And uh, But uh, yeah, people talk about time being a finite resource. But within that time, you know, you can multitask. You can be folding the laundry while you're talking to a child or helping with homework or whatever. But if you're giving your attention to something like something yeah. on the internet, you give up much more than just time. It It, it, is, a, mm -hmm. it is an extra thing. Thing. And reading this really helped me separate my understanding of that, the difference between yes. just time and attention. Yeah, and how you allocate your attention to be sort yeah. of focused and more intentional. And he said, you know, it's, it, it, it's not about just sitting in a room doing nothing by yourself. It's about reevaluating your habits and your hobbies. And I guess, Nikki, you and I have been talking a lot about Clubhouse together in the last week. Clubhouse is a new audio app, which I thought I would absolutely love because I love podcasts. And so I thought, well, this is the app for me because you can just jump in and listen to people talking and, and you know, having interesting meetings on different subjects and you can pick a topic that people are talking about and go in. But I was finding myself really frustrated that I was sitting there waiting for this particular person to say something and then I was like, do you know, I could, I could turn on an, a really great podcast and get this same fantastic information and stop it when I needed to stop it and start it when I needed to start it and be far more efficient with my time. And I think I get quite angry about losing my time, do you know, and and wanting to make really good use of my time. Anyway, I, I've talked too much. It, it, it is a great article. Uh, the last thing is something else I've seen called The End, um, which I saw here on Foxtel in Australia. I don't know where you would see it, but it is simply called The End. It stars Frances O'Connor, who was in a great movie years ago called When um, Thank God He Met Lizzie that had Kate Blanchett in it, which I loved and I loved her in that. It's interesting now seeing her what must be 25 years later. Um, she's in it with a woman, Dame Harriet Walter, who when you see her, you will recognise her from The Crown and from Killing Eve. But the idea of the end is it's three generations of family who all have a different relationship with death. You see subtle hints in each episode about the character development um, and they all have these separate but sort of intersecting obsessions with dying and it's either the right to die or wanting to be dead or how to cope with not really wanting to be here. I, I, I thought it was really, really good. It's one of those ones I rolled, you know, 
three episodes at once when I really didn't mean to. Yeah, that sounds good and I haven't heard of it. So I'm, I'm all in for that. Okay. But I, but I won't have time this weekend because of my bold <laughs> statement. <laughs> good luck writing it. And, yes, I'm going to come back and see how you went this time next week. Nikki, we're back. It's season seven. We've promised that now that we're back, we're here every week. Well, you might regret it. You won't be able to get rid of us for a while, but it's going to be an interesting year this year. I think the questions will be, Nikki, will you be moving to Copenhagen and will you go nuts in the meantime? Will your daughter go to school in Copenhagen or will she homeschool? When will my husband leave? Will there be a second wave in Qatar that holds him back from getting there? Will I ever get back to Qatar? Um, It's going to be an interesting Will my son be able to move to Copenhagen with us because he's oh. over 18 and not at school? And so that's the visa issue that's come up oh this week. Stay yes. tuned. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Nikki, there's a lot. There's a lot. Okay, I will talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.